Hello gang, my name is Conor McManus, you are listening to the Collective Fitness Podcast and today I am joined with Hayley Madigan. Hayley specialises in helping women achieve their goals whilst maintaining their body confidence and provides them with a unique insight into their physiological differences that they have to men. As I'm sure you can appreciate, women face more and more pressure to meet with social norms and social expectations largely peddled by social media and the media itself. Hayley's unique insight and her messaging around women's health will provide females a little bit more in-depth insight into how they should be navigating their bodies and the fitness industry as a whole. I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to let you get stuck into the podcast. Enjoy it and have an amazing day. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Conor McManus and you are listening to the Collective Fitness Podcast. I am here with Hayley Matt-Diggan. I just had to ask how to pronounce her last name so I didn't get it wrong. Um, say hello, Hales. <laughs> hello, guys. How are we all today? <laughs> um, so me and Hayley crossed paths back in, when was it? It was in Australia, Sydney, Sydney, Australia, Australia, Sydney, in Sydney, Australia, when she was traveling with the Turf Games team who were doing like a functional fitness over in, functional fitness competition over in Sydney. And we managed to cross paths then, didn't we? We did indeed. I thought you were Australian. It took me quite a few hours to realize you're English. <laughs> To be fair, I got so much stick for my for my English accent in Australia. I'm surprised it took you so long. But then again, by the by the time like I was there for a good three years, by that time, so towards the end of it, my my accent just started to merge into this horrible amalgamation of Australian, English, Brummie, Black Country, all the terrible accents I'd picked up along the way. And there were certain words that. In Australia, no one would understand if I said them in an English accent. So they were like particularly Australian. So I remember when I was talking to a few of you guys and you were like, you're English. And I was like, oh God, here we go. Getting, <laughs> I've been getting stick off Australians for the past three years and now I'm about to start getting stick off English people. Um, so Hales, give everyone a bit of your backstory and a little bit about what we're going to talk about today. Yes, of course. So um, my backstory it probably starts all the way back and when I was like 14 years old um bearing in mind I'm 30 so that's 16 years ago um fitness has been pretty much my life like bodybuilding strength training I was very very skinny as a child so I always wanted to like build strength build muscle um and just improve myself because I was bullied for just being like so thin but it was a natural you know it was my natural build I was so active played professional football yeah. um and as a kid I just literally ran all over the place. So um, when I was about 23, I got into bodybuilding. I went through a really bad breakup and a lady in my gym was like, why don't you try a bodybuilding competition? I was like, no hell in chance. I'm not going on stage. What are you talking about? They're all on drugs anyway. <laughs> and then she was like, no, there's um, natural bodybuilding federations that are drug tested. And I was like, okay, um, let me have a little look into it. I got into it further and I thought, right, now or never, might as well. Um, I was kind of using my energy uh, from my breakup through to channeling it into training. And um, I went for it and 12 weeks of prep, I got ridiculously lean within like six weeks because it was the first time yeah. I like ever dieted properly. Um, and stood on stage, uh, loved it and won. Um, <laughs> and then went straight from winning that into becoming the amateur world champion within four months. No way. Um, yeah, crazy, a bit of a whirlwind. Um, and that was at 2015, so that was five years ago. Um, I was in America, stood on stage with like 10 other amazing ladies from around the world. Um, and then won, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm quite good at this. Um, let's just carry on. Then that kind of led into three years of competing. I did eight shows and towards the end, I was kind of just ran myself into the ground. Um, too much dieting. I'd never let myself put weight on. Um, 
body dysmorphia, image problems, um, eating or disordered eating. Pretty much three years of my life, I didn't have a cycle. So I didn't have a menstrual cycle for that whole time. Um, I was just, it, it became, I, towards the end, I was just not happy regardless of how I looked. Um, and I think a lot of the time now, people don't realize that you're chasing this perfection and you're never going to reach it because you always want more and you always want to be better. Um, and I reached the point where I just wasn't happy in myself. So take it a step back a little bit. What um, I actually didn't know you did any comps. That was one of my questions I wanted to ask you today. I wanted to get into that a little bit if you did do them. Because I see if you ever go into Hayley's Instagram, a lot of your photos and a lot of your messaging is around you versus your older self and how upon reflection your older self maybe wasn't what you thought it was at the time like your perspective has massively changed on that i didn't actually know you did the fitness comp so what is your honest opinion of the whole fitness modeling world now because i've had a very strong opinion on that since since i've ever got into the fitness industry and then it's become quite popularized now a lot of people do talk about it and do talk about the massive negative impl implications of dieting down to those levels so for someone who's been involved in that and been involved in that in that environment what's it like so I, like I said, the first time I started competing was 2015. So it's five years ago. And the last year or so, I've seen it being kind of gone up into popularity. Um, so many young girls getting involved. They think they go to the gym and six months later, they're a bikini model. Um, and you're like, okay, this is not a good place to start your fitness journey. I mean, like I said, I was lifting weights from the age of 14. So I had a good basis of 10 years of training, even though I'm tiny and it takes me that long to build muscle. Um, I had 10 years of building muscle. So I had, you know, a structured um, routine already. I knew what to do. Um, and then I was ready to step on stage. But now I feel like it's glamorized to the point that it's a popular thing to do. And it's a, it's a craze without being told what actually it is or without being told the negative impact upon someone's mental stability, mental health, mindset, eating, relationship with food. So I think in the last year or so, it's gone crazy in popularity and then it's kind of taking a little dip now yeah. where women um like myself are kind of speaking about the fact that we're not having a cycle during it the health implications um and just actually telling people the truth <laughs> yeah because I think, I think there's there's a massive negative side to the to the to the bodybuilding world and to, and to doing fitness shows. I think I heard it on a podcast before and they were saying that in, in most sports, in pretty much all other sports apart from this one, when you perform and when you go to stage and when you have to perform, you're at your peak in physical and health and mental fitness. Whereas this is the, it's one of the only sports that you can name, it's probably the opposite. In terms of like a psychological and a physiological level, you are so unhealthy on so many levels and by so many markers like you spoke about just how you lost your cycle so for a female that means that you can no longer reproduce when you are fulfilling your role within this industry and like and that's a crazy thing to think that that like that is so popularized like there's so many people that we know there's a few people that we know and i i've got some friends back from when i was at school who went into that world and that's how they made it into like this get their big followings on social media and that then in turn led into other job opportunities like modeling and so on and so forth so you can understand why it's popularized however like the implications of doing so are massive and it's just not spoken about yeah definitely and i mean when you're on stage you're dehydrated so much that i've seen people faint because you'll you want to be shredded right um and you have a glass of wine the night before you water loaded for a week before you then stop water about four o'clock the day before and you haven't had a sip of water for probably 24 hours you're so dehydrated and you stand up there with a smile that is just sticking to your teeth <laughs> because you've got no saliva in your mouth. And you're like, this is the fakest smile I've ever put on for 20 minutes. 
you're shaking because you're trying to contract all your muscles and yeah it's the it's extremely like fake but having said that like I did enjoy being on stage I loved showing people what I created um and what I could do but the sheer determination it took for 16 18 20 weeks every single day 24 hours of a day my focus was that regardless I was a secondary school teacher during the whole prep like I was teaching full-time I had a like a yeah a hardcore job whilst training twice a day and you just don't realize the implications that put on your job your um friendships with people your family life like everything takes a hit and everything took a hit um an impact and looking back now i probably wouldn't have done it if i knew but having said that at least i've experienced it and i'm able um, to tell people sorry to interrupt what Obviously, when when we, when we view this from an outside perspective, you can very obviously see what's happening from a physical perspective in terms of like you're dieting down, you're starting to look amazing. What is happening internally for you from a psychological perspective? Like, how do you feel in your headspace? Because like, I know when I have a terrible night's sleep or I'm dehydrated or I've missed a meal because I've been busy or whatever, I feel terrible. And you're doing this day in, day out. And like the implications of that. So how did it feel for you inside your head? Like, what was your headspace like? Yeah, so they call it brain fog. I don't know if you've all, or prep brain. Um, and I just had nothing in inside my brain. It was empty, like from the lack of carbs. Like, obviously your brain runs on calories, right? It needs carbohydrates to run. It needs energy to run. And my brain just wasn't working. I was snappy. So the hangry came out. Um, I was just, I had no personality, like nothing. I wouldn't be able to construct a sentence like this. Yeah. I would just be off in the fog and just daydreaming, like all the time daydreaming. How did you manage to function at work on that level? If you were a secondary school teacher and your responsibility as a secondary school teacher was to educate and empower young children, but you were away with the fairies, how hard must your job have become? Yeah, it was it was insane. I relied and I mean, I rely on coffee at the moment, but I relied so much solely on coffee um, and just caffeine to get me through. And I was counting down the minutes of every single lesson, which is just it it made my job a misery. And I actually loved it before. Um, So, yeah, it was extremely detrimental to my ability to work unfortunately having said that um I loved teaching but then it 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 became like quite a job that I didn't enjoy because of where I was with my mindset because of where I was with competing um and it was just I was looking forward to that four o'clock finish nap then go straight to the gym yeah what would like if anyone you know now if you bumped into someone in the street and they were saying oh you competed I'm thinking of competing um like this is something I want to do and they told you all the reasons why what would you say to them so I get girls um actually messaging me saying like should I compete and I will be completely honest with them I will make sure I will ask them like how long have you been training so that's my first question if you've only stepped foot in the gym for six months you're not ready You do not know, like your muscles aren't ready. Your body's not ready. You need to learn how to train first. But then you need to make sure that you are okay in the headspace. Like I make sure that they know what they're going to go through. They're probably going to develop some disordered eating patterns. Um, They're probably going to find coming out of competing harder than going into it. When you're in it and you are focused, you see your body changing. Brilliant. When you come out of it, you see your body changing probably back to the way it was um and it's such a rebound effect that people then put more weight back on um and they lose control and that's where the problems start with body image body dysmorphia again disordered eating overeating binging restriction um it's the whole like cheat meal mindset thing that a lot of bodybuilders have, which I can't stand. Like I was allowed a cheat day with my old coach and I had, I think I had one cheat day and I just went, I obliterated it. Like Domino's got a phone call, Tesco's was raided and I'm probably talking about 10 to 12,000 calories (laughs) in a day. Compared to what would you normally be having on a normal day? Was on that prep, it was probably 1500. So that's a big job. <laughs> so the massive thing that's always 
like I've never been able to wrap my head around is that it's bodybuilding and competing is so subjective. Like if you're if you're doing a hundred meter sprint, you know you have won because you crossed the finish line before someone else. If you're playing a football match, you know your team has won because you scored more goals than the other team. Like there's no real way unless there's a massive obvious difference that you know you are going to win when you step on that stage. And even then, even if you've trained harder, if you've dieted harder, if you've fulfilled all the things you need to do, more so than everybody else, it's still down to the people who are judging you on the day, isn't it? And it's still and it's still so subjective. And like people say that comparison is, is the thief of joy, but that whole industry is built on comparison. So like for me personally, I just couldn't, like the headspace that you would go into trying to do something like that, I can't imagine how hard it must've been. Um, yeah. So one thing I mentioned when we were in the middle of that is your messaging on social media. So if you ever find your way into Hayley's messaging, onto Hayley's social media, sorry, the way you articulate things is very particular and you're, Correct me if I'm wrong, but your whole goal with your social media is to allow, especially women, to understand the differences and like some of the lies that you can often get by looking at social media and the different platforms that we have. So one of the things that I always catch you talking about is cellulite. So I wanted to dive into that a little bit. And for any ladies who are listening to this, help them to understand if they have cellulite, what we can, if we should do anything about it at all, and what how it is portrayed in the media like i find personally i have I've had this conversation a million times like the majority of my clients are females and i try to empathize with them as much as possible because i'm a male it's a little bit harder to do so if i'm coming from a female it might be a little bit better but to understand that cellulite is natural and that it is part of our bodies and it is very demonized by the media and that in turn creates this void in this negative relationship with it so i'll let you take it from there and dive into it a little bit more yeah, definitely. So it's funny because when I was competing, I still had a tiny bit of cellulite. I still had it there because it is needed, required, and it is completely 100% natural for a female to have cellulite. Now, cellulite is partially due to genetics, but also it's mainly due to estrogen, the female sex hormone. Um, And when we have obviously um, a normal cycle, um, we can procreate like we're designed to do. Um, Estrogen thickens the um, connective tissue in the skin and fat matrix of the lower body. So you'll find that most women will store body fat in the lower body. Um, and once you start to kind of like lose weight, drop a little bit of body fat, it will come off of your arms, your top body, your waist, and then the lower bodies tend to be the stubborn fat that people like to say or like yeah. to call it. Now that is because the female body is designed to store fat there because when we get pregnant and if we you know, are unable to get food in the cavemen days, your body, your baby would survive on that cellulite. That is there for that baby to kind of feed off of. So we need around about like the percentage of our body fat is, you know, it it can vary between 20 and 30, 35% even for some females. Again, genetics will play a part, but we need that body fat. We need that cellulite to be able to procreate to be able to feed our babies for breastfeeding. It is so important that we don't have that stigmatism towards it that it's bad and that we need to get rid of it or buffer it with this cream or scrape it with this stupid, like the amount of the media portrays it in such a bad light and that it's a bad thing. Like, because it looks different. And ever since they've portrayed it, maybe what, 20 years ago, I'm going back to, I don't know if if Marilyn Monroe had it when she lifted up the skirt, that famous picture, because I remember that women were slightly bigger back then in the media and that was okay. Whereas now it it was all derived to no cellulite, looking perfect, skin absolutely polished and smooth because all of these pictures are completely photoshopped and edited and it's all edited out. And the thing is, women will see this and think, I don't look like that. Like, I need to get rid of my cellulite. Having said that, the woman on the page on the front of the magazine has got cellulite. It's just edited out. Yeah. So my, um, women my, need to... Sorry to interrupt. My, my girlfriend works in, in makeup and she's been on plenty of like TV commercials and photo shoots and whatnot. And the amount of times that she's had to like 
like put foundation or whatever the appropriate makeup is over that area so that be he before they've stepped on camera and then bearing in mind these people who have made it to this level of like commercial television and commercial adverts or whatever are probably going to be some of the most beautiful people you'll ever imagine and then they're still having to then put layers and layers of makeup on to cover it up and I think the media does a fantastic job of demonizing it and then this in turn creates this problem where females then their priority shifts and it shifts towards trying to get rid of cellulite and then this in turn feeds this massive industry of like quick fix products and magic pills and I think it's just so important for people to understand that there, there is no quick fix and there is no magic pill and then there's certain things that we should not let our subjective opinions of ourselves creep into and cellulite is probably going to be one of those yeah definitely i mean i was sent a picture the other day uh for anti-cellulite leggings they've just released <laughs> these leggings that get rid of cellulite when you work out in them <laughs> it's just it's like madness. how like how ridiculous but but this is going to really affect young impressionable women yeah. young impressionable girls they're gonna see and i mean it was a love island star that was posting about it on a story and i just thought you have so many girls that are so young and impressionable and will believe in this because you're advertising it and yet obviously it's complete bullshit like that those leggings yeah. will not help reduce cellulite and the thing is it's about accepting it understanding that we have cellulite but there's a purpose to why we do and i think when you think about it scientifically and you think about okay my body needs it to procreate for health and it's healthy to have it then you understand i can accept it now whereas when the media and other things you know social media is is always comparing yourself against people that don't have it or social media images that don't have it so they're you know photoshopped and then these things that come out like you say quick fixes you're just like it's utter rubbish yet it's forcing these women to think that they need to get rid of something that they really don't need to get rid of yeah like even even as a man there's so many social expectations that are there and so many influences from social media and the media and so on and so forth and like the question your own decision making so i can't even begin to imagine how much more of an effect that would have on you as a female because there's so much more expectation and the problem is females are put on this planet to help us reproduce and survive as a species and people are willing to sacrifice that because of the opinion or how the media has pushed this onto us do you think that there needs to be some form of like duty of care for people with a big following on social media like you mentioned the love island star who was who was pushing this out and in turn impressionable teenagers are going to buy this and purchase this when the reality is it's it's a load of rubbish do you like you've got a big following yourself and you obviously have a level of duty of care do you think that there's some like there needs to be a conversation had around that yeah 100 percent. like anything that i would ever promote um as a product i will always try out myself and i'll always believe in it because i feel like why would i tell these people to take this supplement or take this drink or use these leggings if they don't work like you are you have this basis of people that want to know what you're doing every day they want to know what you're eating they want to know what you're drinking what your skincare routine is and my my skincare routine is literally a baby wipe from wilkinson's like <laughs> i don't want to bullshit people so there's other people out there just saying right here's a grand to promote this product and they'll do it because they want money and that's what they see first off um and it's okay it's it, each to their own that's how they make their money but when you realize you have those thousands of people looking up to you it's a whole duty of care for me and that's probably you know stems back from being a secondary school teacher um and, and seeing those young girls and um, those young girls always saying to me, oh, miss, miss, like, oh, I like your hair like this and your makeup like this. Oh, how do I do that? And they always want to know and they always crave this wanting to develop themselves and that they're uh, that at that impressionable age that they will do anything. Um, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to see that that still goes on. I know a lot of people in, in social media are now like getting down and outing these people. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's brilliant because there's a lot of people showing that actually, no, hang on a minute, that's not true. And I think it is important to out these people um, in a sensitive manner yeah. because 
it is then difficult in on the other side of things when you're say that you're that person and you've just been kind of soul destroyed via social media just to make money but it's a very hard and fine line um i just know that i myself will only promote something that i will ever use and believe in um and hopefully that will continue um to get better um, and that these people will understand that they have got a lot of impressionable young listeners and watchers and followers. And Yeah, I think there's a very fine line between what you said. Like I've always found in the industry that it's like there's like the good and the bad side. There's the good side who like like I would qualify myself and yourself and we're trying to promote these certain things because it has a health benefit to you the customer, whereas the other side of the fitness industry who are promoting product products and things because it has a financial benefit to them. And I think as a consumer, like we still have a duty of care. We have a duty of care to promote the positive things and, and, and down promote the negative things. But as a consumer, they still have a, a responsibility for themselves to not buy into that quick fix. And that's something I've always said to my clients. Like I've always had, it always happens, you have know, people turn up and they're like, what do you think about this thing? Do you reckon this will work for me? And I'm like, no, if that worked, then there wouldn't be an obesity epidemic or people wouldn't have the problems that they have. And so if if it's too good to be true in the fitness industry, it probably is true. But that said, then there is your Zeddy celebrities, your Love Island people, like you just mentioned, and they most uh, certainly do have a duty of care. And especially for those types of target audiences where they're going to be majoritively young female teenagers who are trying their hardest to navigate their way through the world and like and meet social expectations and all the things that are going on on from like a physiological and a psychological perspective and then you've got this person that's on your social media all over it and they're telling you this is the solution to your problem of course you're going to buy it like you know of course you are so they need to have that conversation yeah. with themselves. But then, like you said, on the flip side of it, there has been this massive thing in the fitness industry recently where there's been straight called out. But then you've got to put yourself in their shoes and they've found themselves a spotlight on them. They've got hundreds of thousands of followers and they've been giving themselves this opportunity of a lifetime to make all this money. And they've got to ask themselves the question, can I make this money elsewhere for a more acceptable manner so it is a giant complex problem that's not obviously not going to be solved overnight but it is something that like we all need to be aware of and that the main the main stepping stone to get into like a fitness industry where there's no horse shit on sale is for the consumer to go hang on a minute i'm not buying that because it's terrible and obviously it's not going to work because if it was going to work then everybody would be buying it now i think i think there's like there's one of the main reasons that we try to start Collective Fitness is because we believe exercise has had this kind of like negative association with it on a, on a small level where it has been associated with the demonization of females and the demonization of cellulite and things like that. And I think like it's, we're starting to get to a place now where exercise is being used as a vehicle to provide happiness to ourselves and happiness to the people around us like we spoke a little bit about it before before we jumped on the podcast when we were chatting and we're saying like exercise for us should be a vehicle for us to make ourselves happy and in turn serve the people around us better be a better husband be a better brother be a better son be a better wife so on and so forth and then in turn in our normal day-to-day lives when we get into our jobs we should be able to perform at a higher level because exercise has allowed us to do that and in turn create better lifestyles for us and level up our lifestyle now um and i like sorry to carry on to that point and i think what what we just spoke about is exercise has been used to meet social expectations and i think that is where a lot of the problems occur so for anyone listening to this when you when you go on your fitness journeys think of it from that perspective don't try and use exercise as a tool to meet social expectations use it as a tool to make yourself happy and turn the people around you happy um one of the things you yeah. spoke massively about that... sorry carry on sorry <laughs> go on carry on Hales. i was just gonna touch on that like I think there was, um, there used to be, especially with like Fitbits and Apple Watches and my zone belts. How many calories can we burn in this session? And it was all derived about calorie burning during your training, which it shouldn't be. Training should be done to make you stronger mentally and physically. Resilience, determination, fitness, cardiovascular fitness, brilliant. But it shouldn't be all about burning calories. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Like one of the one of the sentences that I always use when this this conversation pops up is that as as a species now we are the most successful we have ever been like there are less wars there is less illness well not less illness at the moment but there is more we are in less poverty there is less inequality so on and so forth however from a mental health perspective we are probably the worst we have ever been and you know when you start connecting the dots on where these problems that people are experiencing come from a lot of them are going to have come from social expectations not all of them but a large chunk of them and then when we have a tool like exercise that we can use to improve our overall mental and physical well-being and so forth but we're using it for the wrong thing it's like trying to open a door with a hammer like it's not gonna work do you know what i mean so that is a big problem we and this is a perfect point to segue into calories and whatnot you just spoke about how people are constantly aware of how many calories they are burning through their Fitbits. Let's talk about calorie deficit and like and, and the problems that come with that. And not, and not the problems, but how it's best managed. Because one thing that I find is that females especially are constantly striving to put themselves in a calorie deficit in hope to lose weight. That's not a bad thing. It is a tool to be used to help us to lose weight, but helping people to understand how to properly manage a calorie deficit. Yeah, I think females forget that we're very complex in terms of how we are physiologically, um, especially against males. Um, we have obviously our cycle that changes our physiology every single day. We are different every single day. Males are pretty much the similar, like your testosterone is pretty much here, there, around the same pretty much every day, okay? So females forget that we have not only um, our cycle to play with, that we need to keep a certain level of body fat to be able to be healthy. So when we're striving for this calorie deficit all of the damn time, there's gonna be a point where your body is like, no, I need to stop, I need a break. Um, and that's when diet breaks are really useful. But at the same time, this is when we need to think about what are we, are we doing the actual diet correctly because as a female women are be on a diet all the time right <laughs> because that's normal to be on a diet but what is a diet a diet is actually what you eat like it's yeah. your food it's yeah. not a diet like your diet is is your lifestyle it's your food so when we think about um actually getting into a deficit we need to plan a deficit that is sustainable that is going to not only allow us to lose weight if we want to, but in a healthy, sustainable manner that's not going to affect our lives drastically. It's not going to affect our lives to the point where um, we don't want to go to work or that we need to nap 12 times a day, which happened to me. Um, we're not going to be horrible to the people around us. Like we don't want it to affect our lifestyle. We want to make sure that we are sustainably dieting. And then that comes into the fact that a lot of people aggressively diet and don't realize that they're dieting too low. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of girls will diet stupidly low, like 1200 calories. And there's a menstrual cycle threshold for your body that will be like, that is way too low. There's a bone threshold for your body. That's way too low. That's, that's lower than what a toddler needs. And you're expecting your body to do everything you put it through, that horrible 45-minute intense workout you did this morning just to burn as many calories as you can, that walk you did for two hours just to burn more calories. Like it's, if you're focusing just on calories all day long and you're eating hardly any, like eventually you're probably gonna end up in a binge. You're probably going to end up not enjoying the cycle and the process. And usually that includes a weight regain. Um, yeah. And a lot of women will then fall out of love with exercise, fall out of love of, of food and just usually revert back to where they started. So when we think about a calorie deficit for women, we need to make sure that it is a sustainable one that we can maintain. And that is okay if you ate a few more calories one day. It's okay if you ate a few more calories the week before your period. Like we need to understand that that's okay because things are gonna, in our body, like progesterone, it's gonna make our satiety levels a lot lower. Like we're gonna get hungry. Um, and as annoying as that is, why don't we just hit maintenance calories for that week? 
Yeah. Why don't we just focus on maintaining our body? There was a lady that reached out to me. I think it was probably two years ago now. She would say that she lost 14 pounds in her follicular phase in the first two weeks, right? 14 pounds. And then she would put the whole 14 pounds back on wow. in her luteal phase. Because her, her hormones were that, they, they affected her that much. They affected yeah. her hunger levels that much that she couldn't control her eating habits. And yeah, it's about a calorie deficit. But if you are under that, you know, that um, kind of force of your hormones, that is affecting your hunger that much and your, your unstable blood sugars due to the progesterone and your insulin response, like that is going to cause you to be hungry and you're going to eat. The, yeah, that takes a lot of determination to switch off that. I'm not going to eat <laughs> because I've been there. And especially in the week before your period, you're just like, I'm ravishing. I don't care. I am going to go <laughs> whatever in the cupboard. And, and that's what happens. And some women, some women, get, they, we get affected differently. Um, and some women get affected way more. And we have this um, higher attention to higher calorie foods. So we want sugar, we want chocolate, we want crisps, we want the junk food. But if we think about it in a, in a, a more sustainable way, and we go, okay, this is the time I get a lot hungrier. Why don't I just aim for maintenance calories during this week? Why don't I just go for a nice long walk instead of punishing my body through a, a hit session that I really don't want to do? Yeah. Why don't we focus on a deload week? You don't have to train that week if you don't want to. It's, it's putting um, sustainable habits in place and understanding that you do not have to train every single day. You do not have to hit your calories every single day. And once women understand that and men, once we understand that, it will make the whole journey so much nicer and yeah. you'll you'll sustain it for a lot longer so let let's let's get into the menstrual cycle you know as as a male coach this has always been something that like you know i i i acknowledged in my early years as a personal trainer that there's there's more to training females than just changing their accessory sets and we do more glutes and less arms and so on and so forth and that we have to be mindful and empathetic of how their body is going to react to change over the course of their menstrual cycle. So for all the females out there who are trying to navigate that for themselves, because as we spoke about before, like there isn't that much information around it as an, uh, when you start to approach that period in your life. And then for all the men out there listening like me who don't understand what you are guys are having to go through and any male and female coaches out there that need to be more mindful and empathetic of how like they're going to deal with their female clients when these changes occur during the menstrual cycle what are the different implications and things that we need to be thinking about so firstly it's really important to know if your client is on any hormonal contraception yeah. so hormonal contraception makes like it literally changes our physiology straight away so if you're on the mini pill which is progestin so the synthetic hormone progesterone um it will create a luteal phase physiology every single day. And the luteal phase is the two weeks of hunger, <laughs> satiety levels dropping, usually um, energy levels dropping, usually depression as well with a lot of women, um, PMS symptoms, um, PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, um, which 5%, um, around about 5% of women suffer with. And it's not talked about enough because out of that 5%, you have 3% of women that actually have suicidal thoughts during that right, week. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that's going to dramatically affect their training. It's going to dramatically affect their livelihood. So it's taking all things like this into account and then understanding that, okay, if you've got, for example, a client that's not on hormonal contraception and she has a normal, typically 28 day cycle, um, that's an average. I mean, women vary between like 23 days and 35 days. It seemed normal. Um, let's say the 28 day cycle, you have two phases and you've got the follicular phase which is day one which is the first day of bleeding to day 14 which is ovulation and yep. then you've got day 14 to day 28 which is the luteal phase so the follicular phase is the fun phase that women usually start to be like i am amazing i am a boss i'm gonna break up with my boyfriend because i've got the <laughs> determination this is it's actually shown there's some research out there that just before ovulation and around ovulation we are like 
yes, we're going to do whatever we want. We have the mindset and the motivation to get that job, to apply for that new job, to break up with that boyfriend, to do what we want to do. And we are amazing during that time. And then slowly after ovulation, there's a surge of testosterone. And that's when you might find you get your PVs around day 15, day 16. Um, And that's when you like heavy strength training, awesome compound lifts. If you're a power lifter and your competition lands on that day, like amazing because that surge of testosterone is going to pick up that um, that strength for you, and that's the funny thing. When I was doing turf games in um, <laughs> in Australia, I was like, yeah. "Yes, I am in my follicular <laughs> phase, everyone. I can do this. I can get that PV front squat. So like, I can do for, those max burpees." For any, and I was any, so happy. Sorry to interrupt. So for like any females out there who are competing or like, well, not even competing, like any any major task that is going to have to require some form of like some mental focus or physical focus or physiological physiological requirements if you're we just spoke about what happens if it does fall in that phase but if it doesn't fall in that phase like the implications for you like imagine you've had a job interview like it's your you know a job that you've wanted forever and it lands at the worst time in your cycle and mentally and like and then you sat in front of a man instead of a woman and mentally you're just not there and you feel terrible within yourself that must be incredibly hard to deal with yeah like every single female is different so some women will not uh, like even notice any changes um whereas other women will notice drastic changes but my cognitive development will slightly be impaired during my luteal phase um and it's funny because i know when it is because i can't construct a brilliant sentence or i can't think of that word you know when you're like oh what's that word and i'm like Damn it, <laughs> damn progesterone. Because um, when estrogen is high, like your brain is powered, we have that more um, cognitive development. Like it, it's amazing, you, you just thrive. And during that, those last two weeks, more so the, the fourth week, you will just find a little bit of a dip in energy. You might need to nap. And then if something like a big interview happens, you just need to relax and think, okay, don't put that much pressure on yourself. This is the time where if you're used to training and you're used to dieting, don't diet, don't train. Yeah. Let's use that time to just maybe have a yoga session, a meditation session. This is when you need to look after yourself. Don't think about forcing yourself to do a training session because you have to, or it's in your calendar and your coach told you. No, relay like allow yourself that time to think okay i've got a really big interview coming up let's have some time to prep let's focus on me and how i feel and if that is maybe taking a day off doing a yoga class or meditation or going for a walk with a podcast that will be more important and it will help you more in that run up to that interview than trying to diet which is going to affect your brain power anyway if you're you know aggressively dieting so it's allowing yourself to understand that okay it's not brilliant if something lands that's important on that time but you do what you can do and you try your best and you don't let stuff pressurize you into thinking oh my god i'm not going to do a good job or all of this is building up and i mean i put on my instagram this morning that i was feeling slightly overwhelmed because i have so much happening this week that i was like if I let everything get to me, I will be overwhelmed. And it didn't start off great. I had no coffee pods. That's what got to me. I ran out of coffee pods and my Nespresso machine. And I was like, luteal phase, no coffee. I can't do it. And then I took a chill and was like, reset, yeah. go for a walk, See, get like- some coffee. All that pops into my head when we're talking about this is, we, you know, we were just speaking about social expectations. And you can imagine when there's that mindset shift for a female, when all of a sudden the social expectations now become important than you being kind to yourself and dealing with whatever phase you are in in the appropriate manner. Like that, that shift that is happening for a lot of people is so, it's so detrimental. And like, and there needs to become a point where females start to become kinder to themselves and they start to think about their cycles and what is happening in their cycles you can imagine like 
if, if you've got something important, like we use the example of a job interview, if you've got a job interview going on, but at the same time in your other parts of your life, you are now prioritizing exercise over whatever phase you are in and dealing with that in the appropriate way, things start to compound and you can imagine that the negative implications of that that have not has just on your cycle or on your exercise and your training life and the weight gain or the weight loss that comes with that. But then that spills over into normal day-to-day life because now you start to make poor decisions and poor judgment calls around what is going on. And like, as a man, trying to think about that and trying to even get my head around that is mental. And like, you know, like men have got to take their hats off to females and some of the different things you deal with. Like I had a terrible night's sleep this morning. So I got up this morning, I was like, I've got to do this podcast with Hayley. I'm probably not gonna go on, be on the ball as much as I normally am. But you have to deal with that different points plus all the things like poor sleep and running out of coffee pods and and you know whatever else you have to deal with it's just it's crazy what um one thing we haven't touched on which i definitely want to do is we spoke about calorie deficit and now we're speaking about the menstrual cycle what happens when the two collide and it starts to become detrimental like we diet down too hard what now are the implications on our menstrual cycle yeah, so there's um there's some research that's done that a girl will start her period when she's reached around 17% body fat um, when we're in puberty, right? So we tend to be quite lean individuals when we're we're when we're young girls, um, if we have sustain, you know, a healthy upbringing. Um, and then we'll find that our body shape will change around um, 14, 15, depending on when we start our cycle, our body fat is probably heightened. And this is when you will start your period. And this actually is reversed by if our body fat drops below 17%, and this is typically an average, some women will um, lose their cycle on a higher percentage, some women won't lose their cycle, but it's typically seen that if your body fat goes below 17%, you will have a menstrual cycle dysfunction yeah. or hypothalamic amenorrhea. Um, or amenorrhea. I'm really bad at saying that word. So I apologize. <laughs> amenorrhea. <laughs> um, and so when you've become, you, you say you've, you've dieted down for a couple of weeks and you find it really easy, but you're moving less, you then plateau. Then you're not actually losing any more weight. You then take your calories down even lower. So you think, okay, this is fine. I'm not that hungry. Um, I'll keep dieting. And say this is done for a couple of months. Um, your body fat goes really low. You may not even be prepping for a show. You might be even prepping for a photo shoot or just because you like aesthetically looking lean. That's fine. But then your menstrual cycle may take a hit because the calories that you're on will be too low for your energy availability for your body. So our bodies need a certain amount of energy available to us to be able to keep that cycle going. So if you think about it in physiological terms, like my body is not going to be able to have a baby if it's under so much stress. And the cycle, your period is the first thing to pretty much go if your body is in a state of stress and your cortisol is like 50% higher um, due to this stress that you've put on physically and mentally. It can just be from mental stress too. And there's a lot of women out there that I try to help um, get pregnant um, and obviously get their cycles back. But we, we think about things um, if, if women, you know, the fertility, if they want to improve their fertility, it's don't think about trying to get pregnant. It's the same with if you've lost your cycle. Don't put pressure on to yourself. Why is my period not here? Why is it not there? When's it coming back? Because that, just that mental stress that you're putting upon yourself can not let it come back. Yeah. Because phys- uh, psychological stress can be just as damaging as physiological stress to our periods. Um, so when you combine the both and you're dieting really hard, you're under so much stress of maybe jobs, um, your family life, if you're going through a rough situation with friends or boyfriend, girlfriend, etc., And then you apply physiological stress of training too much, high intensity training, not resting, and the combination of everything, your body is not going to be able to grow a child during that part. So it's going to go, nope, don't need a cycle because you're under too much stress. 
So it will shut down that menstrual cycle. It will shut down like hair growth. It will shut down nail growth, your skin. You'll become gaunt. Like all of those things start to happen because your body is preserving the energy to survive. Yeah. One of the ways we always used to explain it to our clients is that when a business starts to struggle, and the cash flow starts to go down, they start cutting off the bits of the business that they don't need and that they are least required. And unfortunately, the cycle is what comes under that. So if you think of it from your own body point of view, when that starts to happen, you need to think of it, my business is struggling and my body is struggling. So my body is automatically starting to cut that out. What do you think the solution is for, for, like, for this issue? Um, like we... We, we talk about balance quite a lot in the fitness industry and operating that balance. And I know it kind of becomes a little bit cliche, but we always talk about falling in love with the process. And the process of getting to whatever your goal might be is more important than getting there immediately and quickly and learning to enjoy that process of it. And that's what keeps jumping to my mind whilst we're talking about this, is that unfortunately, especially as a female, and this applies to males as well, but especially as a female, you can't rush these things. And if you need to lose a certain amount of weight or if you want to perform at your best in a certain, whether it's fit, or whether it's powerlifting or whatever it might be or a sport that you need to appreciate even more so as a female that is going to be a long process what what advice do you have for females out there who are trying to deal with this pressure and this social expectation and then in turn things like your menstrual cycle get compromised what advice would you give to them so I would always try to tell people to not put a time or a scale weight as the end goal. So don't say like, oh, I've got this eight week challenge to do and I have to look amazing at the end of this eight week challenge or I'm getting married in eight weeks or I'm going on holiday in 12 weeks. Like try to reduce, try to eliminate that as your goal and think about sustainable habits that you can introduce for life for your lifestyle. We want this to carry on going for, for next year in 10 years time. We don't want you just to look awesome in eight weeks yeah. and then put it all back on. Like, what's the point? Yeah. We want you to learn sustainable habits that you can implement in your daily life and continue that forever. Like if you have a coach or an online coach and you're part of a community, amazing. Year upon year, you should be developing that education so that you can probably go it alone soon. But if you like to be part of community that keeps you motivated and supported, amazing, stay there because they're th you're thriving off of it. But as soon as you put a scale weight as a measurement of your progress and you're gonna be like, I'm gonna be amazing once I hit 10 stone, why? Why are you gonna be amazing when you hit 10 stone? Yeah. Don't put that figure, especially with scale weight, like I literally hate it as a measurement of progress, um, and you, you put that as, as the end goal, right? And you think, well, actually, if you think about it, why are you going to, you might not feel better. You might not look like you think you should look at 10 stone. Your body composition might be completely different. Um, and having that as a short-term goal and having that as a quick fix, it's not ideal for what we really want you to introduce to sustain for your rest of your life it's more important to understand that i'd rather give you something that will incorporate balance and allow you to go and have a beer with your friends and in a socially distant way um, yeah i think <laughs> but I think allow that over one... time sorry Hallie, carry on carry on that's right allow that over time that that in six months you're where you want to be because your headspace is so much better. Yeah. You might hit that goal weight then, but you're so much in a, in a happier space. You're mentally or physically happy and you thrive. Whereas if you reach a goal weight in two months, but you throughout that journey, you dieted on a thousand calories, you lost all your friendships because you didn't talk to anyone and mm -hmm. you hated life. What's the point? Yeah, like there's no point. You've got to enjoy the journey. I think one of the biggest things I've always struggled with from day one is female clients and their ability to manage balance. I always find it's either one or the other. They are so invested in their social lives and their friendship circles and what is going on that they let their health and their mental health get massively compromised or it's the complete opposite to that. They are so invested in their training and that, that whole process that they then in turn don't go out on a weekend, they don't go and see their friends and then in turn that gets compromised. You know, I like what you said about trying to build habits and making it sustainable. One thing that we always try to say to our clients is if you, if you, 
If you can't do it for a year, don't do it for a day. It needs to be sustainable and it needs to be allowed to stick to for the long term. And the amount of times I've lost clients because we have sat down to do an initial consultation and they have said, this is my goal. And I'm like, are you sure you want to try and do that? You know, and like they'll say, I want to be at this percent body fat. And I'm like, even if you get to that point, your how you think you are going to look in your head that expectation will change as you get better. Because as humans, we naturally want more and we naturally want to continually progress and better ourselves. Being at that same level just does not satisfy us. So even when we get to that point, where we get to that weight on the scales or that body fat percentage, we still want lower and we still want lower. And then there comes a tipping point where that in turn becomes unhealthy. And then things like we start to lose our menstrual cycles and then psychologically we start to suffer and so on and so forth. And then as we said before, we fall off the bandwagon and then we stop enjoying exercise and then we go back the complete opposite way and then we end up back at the square one, whether it was six months before or 12 months before. And that is the problem with exercise at the moment and how people approach it. It needs to be approached for the long term and we need to build long-term sustainable habits. Um, What do you... Let's move away now from like from the menstrual cycle and so on. Training wise as a female, like I know how you train, I've seen you train, I know that you don't just do your hit classes and you don't just do your running on the treadmill. And like and as we said, some of my struggles with female clients have been through certain things. One of those certain things is getting women to understand that strength training is not that testosterone inducing magic pill that's gonna make you look like a female version of Arnie Schwarzenegger, that actually it's beneficial for us in the long run. And it kind of aligns nicely with our menstrual cycles of things like that, because in turn we are able to balance out the types of training that we are doing and so on and so forth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, strength training for me was more mindset than anything. Um, Even when I first started, I mean, I was lucky to watch my dad at 14 years old in the front room, uh, lifting weights. And I was like, okay, I understand this. Like he gets a high from it. It's the endorphins. He enjoys it. So I asked him to teach me a few exercises um, and they were shoulder press, Arnold press, lat raise and lat fall down. And I am very good at those exercises now because I've done them for 16 years. But <laughs> um, it was it was me feeling strong as as a female, as a young girl, that I realized that actually strength training, it's not just about appearance. It's not just what you look like. It's not about building muscle. It's about feeling strong in the inside. And especially as a young girl, like I was never, like I, I had amazing upbringing and I felt, very confident as a young girl, but I felt even more empowered and even stronger once I started lifting. Um, and it's just amazing how that type of training can do you some so much psychological help that you feel so empowered of the high end endorphins afterwards, the rush of getting a PB, like I've lifted this amount, I lifted my body weight, I squatted my body weight, like that's empowering for a female. That's amazing if you can do that. It's so like hitting those PBs and seeing, watching your body change is so much more beneficial than going on the treadmill for hours upon hours that you're just running your, you know, your ligaments and your bones are just getting all that stress pounding on the streets, pounding on that treadmill. I'd much rather, you know, do a few squats and a few deadlifts and sets because I get more from that. I mean, if anyone out there is starting to think, oh my God, I'm going to, like you said, look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I bloody wish it's taken me 16 years to get a tiny deltoid. Like (laughs) it's unfair because we are not physiologically made to be able to do that. We haven't got that much testosterone. Some women might have a little bit more testosterone than others. Like ladies with PCOS have slightly higher testosterone levels. So you might build muscle slightly differently, but you will not build muscle like a male. Um, And I think women also get put off when they see bodybuilders. And I'm like trying to tell them that, that those women probably have taken something yeah. performance enhancing to be able to get like that. And I think that's what's happened um, through the generation of, of, of young girls seeing that online and seeing those pictures of those women on the stage absolutely ripped in figure. And it's about teaching them that that's not gonna happen, that that won't happen if you pick up that dumbbell. Because if it did, like, bravo, yeah, amazing. That's not gonna happen. So 
it's about understanding the benefits, not just physically, but mentally of, of weight training. And it, yeah, it's amazing for your muscles. It's amazing for your joints, your tendons, your ligaments, but it's going to change your body shape. Like it's actually going to change your body composition and you can create and sculpture your body to this, to what you want. And I yeah. think that's what helped me as well in the appearance aspect that of course that you're going to have a, an aesthetic goal. I think everyone has an aesthetic goal and it's, it's okay to admit that as long as it's not your forefront of trying to get that goal and stay that, in that goal all of the time. If as long as you're entwining that into mindset goals as well, but when you start to think about weight training to sculpture your body, I think it's a nice way of thinking, okay, I've got this, this canvas and I can now build on areas that I want to build and work on areas that I enjoy working on. And it, and it's so empowering. It's literally probably the, the, like more so than anything more, even more than coffee for my mind, weight training. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think one of like, we, when you, when we, when we, train ourselves like why do we train what is the ultimate reason that we train and ultimately it comes to the happiness like we want to make ourselves happiness on some form of level and then we need to ask ourselves well what's going to make us happy now from my experience with training clients that i can't think of many times when i've been with a client in the gym or when i've been speaking to one of my online clients and they're like yes i stepped on the scales or i held that body fat monitor and it told me what i wanted to hear yes however there has been a million a million and one times where someone has squatted the weight they couldn't squat the week before they've got their first pull up they beat their friend in a workout and like and they beat their 500 meter row time and i think it's really important and i think like exercise lost it well not exercise but the fitness industry as a whole lost its way at some point and it used to be like when you were playing with your mates in the playground and like and when you were beating each other at certain things and it was this competitive healthy environment but then somewhere along the way probably as the introduction to the bodybuilding industry came in from like an it just got so geared toward aesthetics and like we just said there aren't many times where you're going to step onto the scales and from an aesthetics point of view you're going to be like yes this is exactly what i wanted to hear and then it comes back down to comparison and subjectiveness like there aren't government guidelines that say this is how you should look like you know there is no recommended body fat percentage or there is no recommended weight that's going to make you more sexually attractive to the opposite sex that just doesn't happen. So we, the only way we can measure that for ourselves is by comparison. And that's when we start to compare ourselves to a regular amount of people and a lot of people over a course of time that generally becomes quite unhealthy. Um, so we just lost the signal then, the screen froze and we cut out. So that might sound a little bit weird in the edit and we'll try and make it as smooth as possible. Um, but anyway, we're coming to the end of the podcast now. We've been speaking for a good 60 minutes and we've got some really powerful information there for some of the females out they're trying to like navigate their way through their bodies and through the fitness industry and allow themselves to prioritize around their bodies a little bit better now obviously we're going to come to a close now what's if there's one final bit of advice that you could give someone that may potentially have massively helped you and if something if you could rewind time and do something a little bit differently how what would it be and what would that final bit of advice be So I just want to make sure that people out there understand that don't put too much pressure on yourself to look a certain way, to perform a certain way, because it fundamentally goes down to how you feel. How you feel has a direct correlation to, yeah, what you look like, but how you feel is what life is about, right? And how you feel inside yourself doesn't matter what your body fat percentage is, doesn't matter what your body, you know, looks like in comparison to the women on magazines, the women in media. If your life is enjoyable, if you're enjoying and you're sustaining amazing, you know, you're training for enjoyment, you're training because you love the feeling of training, you want to be strong, amazing. If you have a great family life and you strive for you know, improving your lifestyle as well as your happiness and that that is your goal more so than what you look like, then amazing. Obviously, fitness, nutrition, everything um, diet related comes hand in hand with aesthetics. Like if you strive as a goal to just maintain 
be sustainable, include training because you enjoy it. And as a byproduct, if something aesthetically changes, that's amazing. And, and it will if you become consistent with what you're doing. But try not to put a pressure on yourself. Try not to give yourself a time frame. Try to allow yourself that this is a sustainable thing that I'm going to improve my lifestyle. I want to have this forever. I want to change the way I am because I want to be happier. Like if that's your focus, then you are going to do so much better in every attitude and attribute of, of your life because you're focusing on happiness and that's driving you. And, and it's okay to have a, de- a day off. It's okay to have a rest day. Like don't pressurize yourself to be perfect every single day. No one is, no one's perfect. And the minute, the minute you eliminate that pressure, you'll feel so much freer and you will enjoy your training. You will enjoy the food that you want to eat. You will enjoy maybe tracking calories if you want to track calories. That's fine. But you will enjoy it because you're creating this journey to be happy and not just to be a size six or a size zero or whatever. It's the fundamental thing of allowing that journey to be enjoyable Um, working with coaches that you admire, working with coaches that uplift you, that motivate you, and just improving your relationship with food, improving your relationship with training, um, and just learning from people that that you find motivating and allowing yourself to feel less pressure from the media, less pressure from social media. Like unfollow those people that make you feel shit about yourself. Unfollow the people that you think I'm never going to look like that, but that you want to look like it's okay to have a goal. But don't think about pressuring as pressurizing yourself to look a certain way. And yeah. the minute you stop that, you will feel so free and you will then probably be able to make the changes that will get you there eventually. Yeah, that, that kind of little paradox in itself. Um, Hayley, I've really enjoyed this. This has been amazing. Um, if anyone wants to find you, where can they locate you? So on Instagram, it's at Hayley Madigan Fitness. Um, and my website is togetherfitness.co.uk at the moment, but I've got a new one coming. Ooh, amazing, exciting. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for everybody has tuned in. Thank you, Hayley, for being there. I've really, really enjoyed this. Have <laughs> an amazing day.